Hi there, welcome to Cold Turkey Podcast. This week I'm sitting with Michael and Michael made my brain explode. The reason I'm telling that is that um, even though I knew that he would be talking to me about sugar addiction, actually three things, sugar, flour, and coffee addiction, um, I didn't expect for me to internally react the way that I did. Um, while he was talking, I actually felt um, my brain starting to argue with me, why the hell would I stop using sugar? Um, I'm, I'm con- you know, I would consider and label myself as a sweet tooth and it just, um, it freaked me out. And um, his argument for it are super interesting. He uh, actually like has a interesting story to tell and, and great argument for, you know, like uh, the reason why he stopped using sugar and flour and coffee. And, I, you know, like I, I can't wait for you to listen to that. And um, I'm just going to take a few seconds um, just to let you know to share the podcast, let the podcast known across, you know, like your friends and family and uh, give it a review, give it a, you know, like if there's a star system or a thumbs up system or whatever the platform you're listening to, um, I encourage you to leave a comment. You can write me an email at podcastcoldturkey at gmail.com. I'm actually, um, you know, like always happy to receive comments or, or, you know, like positive comments or whatever, constructive comments or whatever. And um, if you look in the bottom description of the podcast episode, you're going to find all the links to reach out to Michael. And uh, without further ado, uh, here's Michael. Enjoy. Michael, how you doing? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing great. Where are you located? I am in Los Angeles, California. Oh, okay. So it's actually three hours earlier than, than I am mm-hmm. right now. So yeah. as I do with every episode, tell me where do we start that story? You know, like where does it all start? Well, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it starts as a regular kid, basically. I'm... Uh, I grew up, uh, my mother was a sugar junkie and uh, my favorite sugar junkie. And we had access to sugar all our entire lives. No, 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 uh, regulation on it. We would eat bread and butter and sugar sandwiches and sugar on the cereal, which was, if you didn't scrape a half an inch of sugar out with the milk, you didn't put enough sugar and Kool-Aid with three times the sugar on it, that kind of thing. What's the family picture like? So there's you siblings brothers and sisters three younger brothers and my father my mother yeah four boys okay and and you're mentioning the sugar because um looking looking uh, you know like looking back was it extra you know like was it more than like your your first school friends or it was just like a um you know like like a a time thing you know like everyone used to do that Good question. You know, I, I think it was everyone did it. I mean, I, we, I thought we were regular. And I think we were. I think everyone grew up this way in a lot of ways. And, and there's a great uh, YouTube video with Eric Clapton being interviewed by 60 Minutes, Ed Bradley. And he says, so this, they're sitting in his $7 million Antigua treatment center. And Eric, Ed says to Eric, 
So this all this addiction stuff all started with heroin, right, Eric? And Eric says, no, Ed, it started with sugar. And uh, it, he said, I used to eat bread and butter and sugar sandwiches. And I, that, hey, we used to do that. Wow. He said, anything that would change my state, I would use. And then he discovered drugs and alcohol like I did at 14 years old. 13, 14, discovered drugs and alcohol. And uh, I genuinely believe sugar is the gateway drug, just like Eric Clapton. And then when I got sober at 28 years old, I basically reverted back to sugar. Right? Do, do you remember, you know, like, initially, is it the rewarding system that's around it that, you know, like, that creates a craving? Is it the, the you know, like, is it the fact? Because, you know, like, the, the sweets are usually the reward, right? You know, like, you, if you're... You know, like if if you act proper, you know, like you're gonna get sweets, and if you, you know, like there's there's kind of a correlation between um, anything that's sweet or or candies or whatever with the with the reward. You know, like there's really something that's directly attached to that. Well, you're, you're bringing up two different reward systems: one social and cultural, and one actually literally in the brain reward system: um, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA. Uh, even your adrenals and the big one, oxytocin, these things are uh, manipulated by drugs and alcohol and even more so or as much so by sugar. And this science has evolved in the last five years to pretty much explain why addiction is a brain science problem, uh, a brain disease, if you will, because we are toying with mother nature, both with alcohol and drugs and with sugar. And, The social part is exactly correct. We grew up over 300 years. We evolved uh, from the English monopolization, if you will, of the Caribbean and the sugar and driving the price so only kings and queens could no longer have it, but the average, average man could have it. And 300 years later, we're sitting in a situation where you can give this drug to a baby and uh, a one-year-old and have no guilt or no worries and it's not illegal. But now we know, uh, in the last five years especially, that the brain science is telling us that addiction is addiction is addiction. If you're playing with your dopamine and serotonin receptors, uh, you're going to have a problem uh, with cravings and uh, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's both a social and a, and a biological internal brain science thing as far as the reward systems. And you know, like, unless you, you tell me otherwise, but you must have started school as a regular kid. You know, like, I mean, you know, like there's, there's nothing about, you know, like the, the fact that it creates what you just described must sure. come up at a much later time. You know, like you, you don't, you can't identify some of those cravings as cravings, you know, like uh, when you're younger, um, right. So, you know, like, what's your upbringing like? Well, I mean, I have a belief that all uh, addiction is rooted in some level of trauma. You know, we grew up in a violent alcoholic house. So, um, but the idea of using um, sugar to quell negative emotions doesn't connect with people. It doesn't register with people, the physical ailments and the diabetes and the heart disease, all these things take 20, 30, 40, 50 years to manifest. And so people think it's a, a just regular aging, or they think that because it's a ubiquitous and free thing, they can just go to their cupboards and they can, they can have it. 
they don't think of it as managing their state like they would think about it when they're going out to have a beer or a joint. And so that's how we evolved into it. And when you work on the other side, like I do, with very severe sugar and flour and food addicts, you see that they, the recovery is identical. It's exactly the same. You have to understand why you use drugs. You have to kind of unwind all that and start to realize that you cannot use it to manage your emotions, right? And because it's so prevalent in the food system and the food uh, products that we eat and the easy and almost free accessibility, people do not equate the two. They don't put them together until there's a problem. And the problem really started in the 70s and 80s with high fructose corn syrup, where it basically went from uh, cocaine to crack. And now the entire population started ballooning, right? And we're talking about the obesity rate going to, through the roof with a third of both America and Canada being uh, obese and a thir another third being overweight. So two-thirds of the population having a problem that didn't exist 40 years ago, right? And this started with a psychoactive drug. And that's the part that no one puts the two and two together. They don't, they're not willing to look at it. The same, <laughs> the same symptom comes up as regular addiction. It's, it's denial. They're denying the fact that the possibility exists that because for 300 years, this product has developed its way into our food system, that today it's not a psychoactive drug that causes all these damage, all this damage to the human body, and that the reason people can't quit is psychoactive and is a, a uh, you know has to do with brain science and nothing to do with body. And and I, I keep thinking about a book I read, which is like, is it salt, sugar, fat? You know, there's sure. a there's a it's a great book. It's a fantastic book. You know, like it's a book. It's a, it's a huge eye opener. You know, which says that you know, like when it, when a ten, you know, like a, what some trend says, you know, like it's low fat. Be mm -hmm. sure that the other two is go, are going to be boosted in the product right. you're eating. Eating, and you know, like the same goes for any of those three. You know, like it's a it's a combination. It's almost like a it's a science. You know, like of them. Of the oh, industry, really just just I mean, playing with they, those. They engineer what's called the bliss point. Yep. And what it is is a combination of sugar, salt, and fat so that people literally cannot uh, resist it because it hits all of the right, what I mentioned before, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. It hits all of the right brain chemicals for stimulation. And it's not so much it's a satisfying – well, it is. I mean, they've engineered so it has a great mouth feel and all this other stuff. Yep. but. What they're really engineering it for is the the hit to the um, the brain reward chemicals, right? And it's it's very easy to look at Starbucks and other companies. It's easy to build an empire on a psychoactive drug if you know what you're doing. And in the late, I think early '70s, late '80s, or early '80s, the tobacco companies were starting to have their problems, and they started to divest themselves into food prop food companies, and they brought the same science with them. And that science is how do we make this irresistible? Well, even some chips companies just don't hide behind it. You know, like they, you know, like they just bluntly say it to their customers' face. You know, like you can't have just one. You can't know? have just one. I mean, they're not hiding it. I know. <laughs> so, what's so you said that you started using drugs and alcohol by the age of fourteen? You know, like, what was that ride like? 
Because you said that you're, you know, like your far, your parents, there was some some alcohol issues on your father's side. Yeah, my father was an alcoholic. There's no doubt. I mean, he was a binge alcoholic. He was an everyday drinker, but when he drank, he got drunk and and uh, you know he was violent and stuff. And and my my mother's family has alcoholism in it as well. My uncle died of cirrhosis. Uh, her her brother, and so it was a kind of a perfect storm. Hundred um, percent Irish heritage and. Not that that means anything, but it, it, it seems to denote sometimes a little bit of alcoholism. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was not I don't want to say preordained, but I come I come by it honestly, as they say. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I that party lasted for what, uh, 12, 15 years, uh, 14 years. And I was got sober at 28. Actually, what's that, what's that ride like? You know, like what's that ride like? I mean, like in terms of your relation with school, authority, parents, you know, like all that. You know, like, were you a binge drinker as well? You were like more of a. I was. Yeah. I mean, I. Um, it was interesting. I mean, I. Um, I worked in restaurants and then ran some of the largest nightclubs in the South uh, in my late twenties. Uh, so it was one gigantic party. That's how I got through college. Um, and I just really thought that we were, you know, we, I like to party or what have you. And I didn't really put it all together and drinking became untenable in about 23 or 24. And I quit drinking at that time, but I never stopped using drugs until I was about 28. What drugs are we talking about here? Uh, cocaine and uh, marijuana and speed. And, you know, luckily I missed a couple of epidemics and, or I probably wouldn't be here. I missed the crack epidemic, just missed it. I missed uh, the opioid crisis, obviously. We did some drugs, quaaludes back then. But, yeah, I mean, it was not uh, like it is today. So It was marginal at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it wasn't – it was just a, a, a caffeine. It was a, a, a cornucopia of uh, mostly alcohol and, and marijuana and, and cocaine – and speed, <laughs> it was party drugs. Put it that way. I feel that's what it, that's what I thought it was. See, I never thought of it back then until I got sober. Till I realized, I got some therapy, went to meeting, that kind of stuff. I never realized that I was covering up some pain or covering up some hurt or changing my state so that I didn't feel less than or that hole in the soul that they described. Right? I didn't think of it that way. I really didn't because you um, didn't feel it. I didn't feel it because I wouldn't let myself feel it. Exactly. Yeah. So you said that you stopped using by the age of what, 28? 28, I got sober. And uh, you said that you compensated with sugar. Can you explain a bit, even though I guess it's super subtle, but you know, can you explain? Did you have that, you know, because having a sweet tooth, you know, like I'm, 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 I would consider myself like a sweet tooth, you know, like, Big time, like so. So, I, I, you know, like it hits me right now. Our conversation hits me a lot, and we're not we're not even started. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm well, gonna feel bad by the end of that conversation. I can tell that you're not. I can tell you that you're not alone. Fifty percent of the podcast that I go on, the host wants to know about their own sugar issues, right? So it's not it's not unusual. Um, and it's even in the big book in a couple of different places that substituting, I mean, if you've ever been to a 12-step meeting, you know that the back of the room and birthdays and, and whatever and sugar and the coffee and nicotine 
it yep. turns into a, just basically a substitution. And where I come in, if you will, is that I have a background in obviously addiction recovery. And so what happens is I'm the chairman of the Food Addiction Institute. And what people are unable to accept right now is the idea that sugar is as powerful a psychoactive drug as the drugs that they were hard, hard, quote unquote, hard drugs. One strange and crazy thing happened in the last year since I started going on podcasts and I be outed myself as with as someone who is recovering from drug and alcohol abuse is that I recruited by accident an entire group of clients who were recovering alcoholics and drug addicts who were 10, 15, 20 and more years sober. Some of my coaches even now, they were sober for 10 or 20 years, some of them, and they still could not put down the sugar. They tried over and over. They went to food groups. They did a lot of different things, but they still could not put down the sugar, which to me, they knew they wanted to. Uh, they are the what I call the canaries in the coal mine. They are the ones that are showing us the way and the belief and the understanding that this is a powerful psychoactive drug. And the fact that it happens to be enculturated into our society for so long doesn't mean a damn thing anymore. It, it's it's this is this would be described as denial to be, to believe to not believe the science that has evolved so rapidly in the past five years about sugar's effect on the brain reward systems. And can you tell me about the process? Um, you know, like going from being sober to realizing that you know, like you may have substituted that with with sweets and and with sugar. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and most of my fellows, they used to call me the weird addiction specialist, right? Because I was, I mean, I guess in that time, in this, in that, in this lexicon, I would be called a health nut, right? And so I'm trying to quit uh, sugar and flour and caffeine and uh, food additives and that kind of stuff and go eat organic and that kind of thing. And they would, they would say to things to me like, are you sober today, Mike? And I'd say, yeah, well, don't worry about the sugar. It doesn't, you know. So they didn't have a lot of respect for this, right? And the food groups, the OAs and the other four offshoots, were smaller if they existed at all, but, you know, 30 years ago when I got sober, 35 almost years now. Um, they didn't even exist, most of them. And so there wasn't a lot of information about it. But I knew there was a book out there called Sugar Blues, and I loved that book. It was written by a guy named William Duffy, and Duffy was at a party one time, and he uh, was putting two lumps of sugar in his coffee, and a voice from behind said, I wouldn't have that in my house, let alone my body. And he knew the voice because the voice was Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star, right? He ends up marrying Gloria Swanson, and they promote this book. So I, I read this book in the mid-'80s or early-'80s, and uh, I just – fell in love. Somehow God said, put it in my head that, you know, this was information that I, I should, I should know about. And so I, I quit, it took me three, two and a half years almost to quit completely sugar, flour and caffeine. And it was really hard. And to answer your question, the reason I knew is because I'm kind of a thin guy and I gained about 20 pounds. I had rosacea all over my face, worse than I was drinking, pimples all over my face. I was tired all day. I was drinking 16 ounce Mountain Dews, six or eight of them a day highest caffeinated beverage on the market and the highest sugar content before 
um, energy drinks came out. And I didn't really eat real food. I mean, if there was burger in the middle of my bun and, and my pizza and my ice cream, and my cookies, then, well, that was just an accident. So pasta, I was basically eating ultra-processed carbs and sugar for my fuel. And it was destroying my body really quickly and making me sleep all the time and lethargic and what have you, giving me headaches and sweats and everything else. So that's how I discovered it. And many of my friends in recovery were all uh, getting diabetes diagnosis. You heard of the freshman 15 when you join, when you go to college, you join, you, you go to college and you gain 15 pounds because you're away from home. You're a little nervous. You're eating, uh, cafeteria food for the first time and you know well this is the the recovery 50 okay people would come into recovery and they'd gain 30 40 50 pounds right away like right away like i'm talking in four to five months and because they literally just substituted sugar like eric clapton talks about um uh, for the drugs and alcohol and then they can't get out of the spiral and that's where i came in that's where we started our work years ago just to lay the table you know like would you identify you know like because people are you know like we, we hear a lot about you know like different types of sugar you know like there's there's you know like a we use a lot of maple syrup for example you know like we use a lot of honey and you know like i just want to hear your take on you know like is a sweet a sweet a sweet you know like is there um because people you know like tend to kind of differentiate, you know, like the I the corn fructose, you know, like the corn syrup and, you know, like uh, natural sugars and, you know, like all kinds of kind of way that, you know, like, uh, and some are on the camps of, uh, on the side of, no, 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 uh, you know, like a sweet is a sweet is a sweet. And then you have the other ones that says, no, you know, like there's, there's a difference uh, yeah. between the two. And I guess there is still, but, you know, like, uh, can you lay the table on, you know, like uh, the flour? Because it must become a challenge to, you know, like get rid of all of this in your in your daily diet. Because, you know, like as you said, you know, like there's what we went, what you mentioned, there are all of these sprinkle all over our, our you know, like our, our, our food cabinet, you know. So yep. just lay the table on, you know, like what you mean by, you know, like sugar. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it's a great and fair question. And the, it, <laughs> you've heard of the wiggle room kind of thing in recovery. Like, can I drink beer? Can I drink near beer? Can I drink non-alcoholic beer? This kind of thing. People are always looking for a wiggle room in this. And I have to sometimes ease them into the idea that, yes, it's all types of sugar, including fake sugars and whatever. And what they've discovered in the last five years in the science of it all is that the offending molecule is the fructose. And fructose is, like just for your audience, the table sugar is half fructose and half glucose. And the body needs glucose to live, right? And, but, and, and a lot of high glucose types of things uh, cause diabetes and whatever, ultra-processed carbs, that kind of thing. But the brain chemicals are affected by both and more so by the fructose. Uh, they, they pound it, they, they push it. In the lexicon of the scientist, your dopamine and serotonin receptors are down-regulated, meaning you have less of them because you have a higher, a bigger habit, right? Because you're using a lot of sugar. And so you need it literally to stay even. It's not a situation where 
you need to get a buzz or you need to whatever. You're just needed so you don't fight. You're fighting off withdrawals at that point. And so the, you know, people get on me about the honey and the maple syrup. But some of those things are so high in fructose, like agave, which people think of as a natural sweetener, sometimes is 60, 70, 80 percent fructose. Right. And it's, you know, what they make tequila. out of. So it's a very powerful uh, sugar. And they sell it in health food stores like it's like it's a wonderful thing. But it, the body doesn't know the difference and the body's cravings don't know the difference between xylitol and stevia and all these other things. Because once you set up the cravings for the sweet feeling, I mean, they also really get down on me for the heavy use of dried fruits and, you know, very high fructose and high glycemic fruits, bananas and, and uh, oranges and apples and those kinds of things. Um, people say you can use berries, but still have fructose and people eat an awful lot of berries. Um, so yes, for a time, the wise thing to do is to go 100% abstinent. Like alcohol and drugs, moderation doesn't work often for, for about a third of the population. People have tried that, you know, have a little beer here and a little there. That kind of thing just doesn't work. And if you're truly a, a sugar or a flour or not not necessarily food addict, but if you use ultra processed carbs in a way that is addictive, moderation will be a very difficult thing. I've never ever in my practice had someone go 90 straight days of abstinence with no quote unquote moderation and then want to go back. They don't want to risk it. They've lost a lot of weight. Their skin looks better. They feel better. Because their dopamine receptors and their, all these these things come back online, and they don't have to use a product to manipulate them. So they they, they the, the common quote is I didn't know I could feel this good because not, and they don't have headaches, the migraines, the headaches go away. Many times people stop taking diabetes medications. A lot of different things happen, but it has like I said, the eminent researcher Dr. Robert Lustig calls you know says. The offending molecule is the fructose. So you can't eat a lot of glucose either. You can't eat a lot of flour and pasta because that's going to raise your blood sugar levels um, and that's going to cause diabetes as well. But the reason people can't quit centers in the brain chemicals. And as far as caffeine, you're getting me worried here. What's, <laughs> what's, what's the deal? I get, with I get that response all the time. <laughs> What's the deal with caffeine? <laughs> caffeine is the same thing. It 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 plays with your dopamine and serotonin. It 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 plays with your brain chemicals. And if it were to be introduced today, the Food and Drug Administration would not approve it. It's little, especially in the amounts that it's given today. Um, it's speed, plain and simple. It's at the low end of the speed spectrum. But when you cross over like, I don't know, I think it's Tylenol or a couple now different ones that literally one group is uh, a controlled substance and the other you can sell over the counter. But all you got to do is take one or more of the over the counter one and you've got the same amount as you had in the controlled substance. Yeah. Same thing with caffeine, you know, it's at the, granted the lower end of the speed spectrum. But one of the things that people want to know, I think, is that they or should know anyway, is that. This is really, I mean, weight, people talk about weight and they talk about health and wellness, but it's really the brain fog. It's really the headaches. It's really the 
the mental capacity that is rejuvenated when you get clean of these drugs that play with your, you know, those parts of your, your brain. And that includes caffeine. Um, you know, the idea that you can't, there's a great story of a health and wellness expose or, or, or conference and the first two doctors to speak, um, you know, it was, they wanted to put out the holistic spread, <laughs> whatever. And they had no coffee, right? They delayed the show an hour till they could go to the kit, get the kitchen, to get the thing brewed wow. because the doctors would not get on without coffee. And so that type of dependency, if you will, is not for me in my world. Like I tell people, I'm too probably too holistic for my own good. But I also tell you that when people go 90 days free of flour, sugar, and caffeine, the pink cloud means nothing because they are they the euphoria, the natural euphoria that people experience. And hey, let me tell you, the first 30 days are brutal. The withdrawals are brutal, and no one, very few people that I've worked with have been able to do all three at the same time. I have people do flour first and use the sugar and caffeine to get off it. Sugar second, use the caffeine. No, wait, excuse me, backwards. I use the caffeine first. They use sugar and flour to get off the caffeine because you can't do it alone. Then sugar, and because then they use the flour, a little bit of flour, and then the flour last. And so that's my step down, if you will. Um, it's like methadone, my methadone treatment. Because anyone that ever tries to do all three at the same time, by the third or fourth day, they are incapacitated. They are not able to function. They're not able to that, work. Their head that is bad. Like, yeah. That bad? That, oh, yeah. That bad. So what are the, just speaking of which, what are those withdrawal symptoms? What are we, what have you witnessed in terms of, um, you know, like the, the, how you said incapac incapacitated, Ugh, that was tough. Uh <laughs> Well, Unable to function. <laughs> incapacitated. <laughs> incapacitated. Um, can, can you tell me, you know, like a bit of the symptoms of withdrawal? You know, like when someone, you know, like the first 24 hours, the first 72 hours, you're like, what, is, what can someone expect? Yeah, the first 24 hours is a grace period. You're like, this isn't too bad. <laughs> this is easy. Then the next 24 hours, and sometimes it starts right away, but for most people, the first 24 hours of grace period, you usually get into bed the first time and say, okay, I did it. And then the next day, the headaches, and usually the headaches start, sometimes they start the first day, but depending on your habit. And then uh, the, the days three, two, three through six, seven, the headaches are nasty, really, really tough headaches. There's a lot of, um, how shall I say, uh, depression it's real genuine brain induced uh withdrawal of depression there's a feeling of impending doom there's irritability there's just terrible irritability because you're irritable with yourself with your kids everything bothers you the littlest noises the dogs everything bothers you um and you most people do not have time in their life to go through this process you're going to sleep 12, 15 hours a day, you're going to sleep a lot during the first three, four, five, seven, 10 days. Uh, you're going to need hydration. You need proper whole foods. And that's only, and the only reason you would exercise, and not for calorie burning, the only reason you would exercise is to help recalibrate and rewire your, your brain chemicals so that they come back online like a runner's high. You know, you, that's where you're going to get some of your relief. 
is to exercise some. And it's hard to exercise because that's about all you can do is exercise, sleep, eat, exercise, sleep, eat. And so um, it's pretty nasty. And what happens is people get this, uh, how should I say, false security when they get 30 days or whatever. They figure, well, that way. They don't, you know, they, they kind of got through it, what have you. But at the end of the day, um, every story of recidivism, every story of people uh, going back starts with one little bit that I think, well, I thought I could do it. You know, I lost 10 pounds. It was my birthday. I had one piece of cake. And then they're gone for two or three months or two or three years sometimes because they couldn't get back. They couldn't go through that first 10 or 12 days again. It was too hard. And they don't, they're afraid of it now. And so they need that support uh, the second time around. So it's an, it's, I, I, at the beginning, I used to, this is a terrible analogy, but I used to sugarcoat it. Right? I used to tell people, oh, it's easy. Anybody can do it. But now I really want people to be ready and want them to be aware of what's going to go down. And um, I mean, this must make your, you know, like your, your grocery experience almost a nightmare true you know like so and you're eating out is worse oh i mean there's no way you can find yeah you know like that you know like i'm thinking like even even sushi doesn't work like like there's there's so much stuff that you (laughs) you can't uh and especially you know like we're on those times now where you know like being lactose intolerant is just like a oh another another one you know like you know like there's there's like that kind of uh it's there seems to be a trend around it a bit you know where where some people capitalize on it um and so i'm i'm guessing you know like how do you you know, like, because, you know, like, I, I I have a hard time seeing, you know, like, what is the, you know, like, is there a way to compensate, you know, like, to, to you know, like, how do you find your, you know, I, I probably know the answer, but, you know, like, the fact that you're giving out on the, the sugary taste, mm. you know, like, my brain is just, like, going nuts saying, you know, like, do you do you find like does a carrot taste better when oh, you stop yeah. you? <laughs> Brussels sprouts taste sweet. Macadamia yeah. nuts taste like candy. It's crazy. Their taste buds change so rapidly. And then when if people accidentally or on purpose go back, they the things that they used to eat taste too syrupy sweet, like too much sweet. Like when we discussed the bliss point. If you make it too sweet, people won't like it, you know. And that's what happens to carrots and Brussels sprouts and vegetables of different kinds. And um, they just taste really sweet. I mean, you, your taste buds come back online as well as your dopamine receptors. You know, it's like your your, your body is healing up from, from abuse, to be honest with you. I mean, it's... Uh, it is an adjustment. And I think that the answer is similar to what we talked about off air a little bit is the, the peer recovery stuff. It's the new tribe that you join uh, that where you don't seem like you're crazy or insane to think that you can be of this society and not ingest these products. Right. And so you're, you're essentially a pioneer still in this day and age. You're, you're people who go 100% abstinence or give it a try are folks that, 
they, they've been pioneers in some por- portion of life. Either they got sober or they ran a business or they were the first to graduate college or move away from home or whatever. Um, those are the folks that can think for themselves and are willing to take this risk on, take this this opportunity on something that they can uh, get holistically healthy. And really I tell folks, just do it as a test, right? Just see how you feel. Uh, Try it out. If I told you not to eat steak for a month or broccoli or whatever, you have no problem. You probably do it. But when I tell people not to eat sugar for a month, they're first of all, their brain gets hard short circuited a little bit, but then they, when they attempt it, there's something, quote unquote, drawing them back. And what is that drawing them back? The broccoli's not drawing you back. The steak's not drawing you back. And so, you know, the sugar, the addiction part. And again, people don't like addiction. Facebook doesn't like the word addiction. You know, nobody likes it. Now it's in the world of non-stigma. It's called substance use disorder, not alcoholism or drug addiction. So sugar and food has to be separated between stuff that has been processed into uh, white powder and stuff that is whole food that doesn't come from a bag or a box or a can. And that's a hard thing in this society. It really is, especially in restaurants or like you say, in uh, your food shop. And it's funny because the, the, the image you just, you know, like you, you just draw me of, you know, like you're not, you're not pulled back to heating broccoli if you stop for 30 days or, 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 whatever you're like fish for example um there's all kinds of red flags and sirens going in my head because for the past 20 minutes i'm just my brain is just spinning on okay so no you can't have that no you can't have that you know like just a list of stuff that i I would have to leave by you know like just drop Mm. and i you know like my brain is just trying to do like backflips of you know, like escape routes and, you know, like way to the wiggle room, right? You know, like just, just for the past 20 minutes, my brain is just freaking out. Mm-hmm. And that's a red flag for me. You know, like why, why am I, why is my brain behaving like that? Like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> You're not quitting this. <laughs> Stop right now. <laughs> oh. And I, and it, it freaks me out because it, it while, I am quite freaked out by the the my 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 brain acting up. It as well is kind of a like a like like I said, you know, like a kind of a red flag and a siren saying, "Well, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be freaking out." You know, like it's just yep. an a, an option. You know, like so so it's. Um, I appreciate your honesty. I do, and that's <laughs> an important part of you know the uh, name it and claim it kind of thing. I mean, it's important uh, to be aware. Uh, not be in denial about it um so yeah it's uh but the the podcast is helping me so much around that you know like if if it for my listeners i think it's it's an eye-opening and just in a if if they if they open their mind and their heart as i do when i interview people such as you michael you know like they, they there is an experience of just it it is it is mind blowing, you know. Like so so uh, you know like like I'm gonna say that ego ego, you know like egoistically, you know like for me it's just like a a a, a cultural and a and a and a mindful experience that is that is 
crazy. I've never, I've never lived that. You know, like I've never experienced that in my life. You know, so it's just, you know, like, and if so, by if if by that, I'm helping others. You know, like, God bless. That's perfect. You know, like I love it. But you know, like, just the fact that. <laughs> I'm listening to you, but I hear my brain just saying, no, 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 no. Don't even think about it. Freaks me out. You know, like I'm I'm like, why am I so anxious yeah. of even thinking about considering it or um listening to you having fantastic argument about it? You know, like you know, like it's irrefutable. And you know, like I, I read that book, closed that book, and was like holy shit you know like there's there's you know like there's that 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 chapter about the um one of the um cheetos i think where the the, the chemist explains yeah. how much pressure in the jaw you know like the level of salt you know like there's it's it's a it's it, the guy said it's a scientific piece of art talking about a freaking cheetos yeah and there's like like multiple pages explaining like the the recipe for getting their customer addicted to that Cheetos. Mm -hmm. um, but but then you know life goes on and you close the book and 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 you know like have, you know like we've tried so many times in that household to just get as far as possible to any processed, boxed, canned or wrapped food. Um, but it's it's a it's a huge challenge, you know. Like it's it's a it's a tough job, you know. Like to it, you know, like it's almost like a a full you know like a full time job in making sure that you know like we grow, you know, like in the summer we grow some of our food in the backyard, and you know, like there's all kinds of ways you try to um, clean your act up. Um, but it's 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 crazy, you know. Like the 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 caffeine is just like. I'm not kidding. Like this morning, you know, like we, my wife and I had one coffee. My wife's is sugared, not mine. But you know, like so, we had our coffee. We we got to train, and when we we left at the same time from the from the from home, and realized that we didn't we didn't make one to go, <laughs> another coffee. <laughs> and it was just like oh, uh, and and we left. Anyways, but it, it was really like, should we, you know, like, should we be late to get our coffee or should we, you know, like not be late, but, you know, like, should we leave later just because we don't have that coffee to go? And, you know, like there was kind of not panic, but like that, that little sense of, well, we should, you know, like we do we anyways, you know, like there was something about where, you know, like that's not being free, you know, like being free means, you know, <laughs> No, there's a, there's definitely a tether to your world, to this other thing that you have to do every day, every morning in order to feel right to do the day. Yeah. That's a problem. I mean, it would be for me. It is. It was for me. So I, I didn't like it. I really didn't like it. And uh, yeah, I mean, and you're, like I say, you're not alone. I mean, uh, I, I'm always quoting Dr. Lustig, but he believes that this is a tectonic shift. Like, uh, Seatbelts in cars, drinking and driving, condoms in bathrooms, uh, smoking in public places, things that science said, we don't care that it took 200 years to get here. Science now says smoking is bad for you and driving without seatbelts is going to kill you. And these kinds of things, 
are proven facts, and this science is here. It's not definitive 100%, but the, the signposts are there and the, for the people who want to find it. And then the people who are actually have attempted it and succeeded and are on the other side, I've got hundreds of testimonials, uh, people who are now no longer indulging, whatever you want to call it, however you want to use the words, uh, in these products, and that their life has gotten better. Their body has fallen to a normal uh, right-sized body for them. Many of them have taken have gone from having diabetes to to not having diabetes at all. No test, no diabetes. The brain fog clears, the skin clears. Um, men, so many uh, immune, autoimmune diseases went away. Just so many maladies that sugar was suspected of causing, which we still can't quote unquote prove. But when the people actually do the 100% abstinent, no moderation program or protocol and get past 90 days or hopefully past a year or whatever, um, depending on their habit, many, many of these things clear on their own. And that kind of excitement for me is what keeps me going. It's like, yes, I'm fighting an uphill battle with society, with, with norms, with people's history and family history, and their addiction, which they don't want to name as an addiction. Like, and lobby, Michael. You know, like I was just about to say, you know, like that the there's no union of cocaine dealers, and if there's so, you know, like their lobby's not doing pretty good. You know, like so, you know, uh, but at, on the opposite end, right. that those that food industry has even more money than the wow. cigarette makers has you know like that you know like they, they you know like cigarette makers have lost that battle you know like even though they tried god knows right yeah um but the food industry mm. you know like the the high was it what is it you know like the high fructose syrup you know like that um you know like the, the, everyone knows that it's poison you know like you don't have to look very hard to see that it is identified by the majority of people observing it that it it is poison you know like it, it's it's just bad stuff you know like mm -hmm. it costs nothing uh it, you know like it, it, you said it you know like there's a def definite correlation not even a dotted line it's a straight line between obesity and the you know like the the, the injection of that product and in, in 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 ingredients you know so um but yet there's almost all of our food if we if we look at the at the ingredients on in our pantries and our in our in the refrigerator right now they will have some con you know like some fructose syrup in it yep. you know so um do you think that you know like the you know, how do you see that you know like, do you see that that battle being like like almost like a I mean, like I said, you know, like the the smoking the smoking industry lost that lobby. Yeah, but I have a unique take on that. Um, I have no issues with it. One thing I can tell you, if you remember this picture, seven CEOs of seven tobacco companies with the right hand raised and swearing that they that nicotine is not addictive. They believe nicotine is not the swearing to God on the Holy Bible that nicotine is not addictive. You will not see the food 
groups uh, playing that way. They, their, their game plan will be different. But that said, in 1960s, in the 1960s, 45 percent of the American population smoked cigarettes and today less than 14 percent. So that that like you said, the battle has been lost. But here's the thing. They had shareholder value to worry about. They had a business to run, uh, like the alcohol producers. I think in, you know, 10 or 15 years, uh, you will need an ID. You, it will be an adult pleasure. Uh, the American Pediatric Dental Association, the American Pediatric Association, the American Heart Association. I always forget the last one. One more big one came out through the Robert Wood Johnson Association, which is large, one of the largest nonprofits in the country, um, and said that children between these ages of zero, and they've never cooperated. None of these organizations ever cooperated in a statement of any kind, ever. And they came out and said children between ages of zero and five should not drink any, that's zero, sugar-sweetened beverages at all. Um, now, they didn't talk about eating candy and all that kind of stuff, but they said eliminate the sugar-sweetened beverage, including sweetened milk and, you know, chocolate milk. And that. So that type of uh, verification, you know, that type of uh, uh, statement. statement from that group uh, gives us a, a glimpse of what's a starting to happen, right? And so that's going to be... I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, it's things evolve, and how long it takes is one. You know, the Nestle's corporation, I think it's Nestle in Switzerland, has an entire complex devoted to health and wellness products, food products. So they know what's coming, and they're moving in that direction. But they're not going to move super fast. I mean, they're going to sustain their shareholder value, and I have no issues with them at all. They, again, evolved through 300 years, no problem. What is going to happen, however, is what happened in the cigarette stuff, something like a tipping point with the litigation. The litigation, the tobacco litigation against the states, against the tobacco companies, was a trillion-dollar advertising campaign for the health and wellness of folks. And you can't replicate that. You can't advertise it. There's no way that I could do it or anyone could do it. So we have to build a grassroots movement that is there to catch when the tipping point happens. Who knows when it'll happen, when politics calms down, when somebody else gets in office, somebody will. I often thought Michelle Obama was going to be the leader of something like this, but that's another story. It, she moved and shifted. But I think what's going to happen is if we don't start now to build that um, those new tribes, that grassroots movement from coming up from the ground, and then we're not going to be successful in that tipping point of either litigation. The litigation has already started. There's already been judgments. New York is, uh, you know, there already is sugar taxes in Australia, in Europe, in Great Britain, in, um, in, in New York City. There's already heavy taxes on sugar products, some sugar products. And that's just an evolution of policy. Personally, I believe it's going to be grassroots, like the cigarette stuff. People are just going to realize that they can't give this stuff to their kids. And why would they risk it? Okay. Maybe the science isn't perfect, but I raised a couple of sugar free kids 30 years ago, right? 31 years ago. Uh, no sugar in the womb until they were six years old. And that experiment worked. Uh, we can talk about it later if you want. But the bottom line is, with that announcement by the Pediatric Dental and the Pediatric Association and that, and the science that's out, 
And a, a woman who tells that get finds out that she's pregnant, literally, even if she has a substance use disorder, that afternoon she can quit cigarettes, she can quit drink, drinking, she can quit drugs. How has that happened? She couldn't quit drinking for like five years, but the day she found out she was accidentally pregnant, bam, she quits drinking. That day, not like the next day, that day, right? Yep. And so with this science that's coming out with the sugar and a lot of friends that they have that are obese and, and the, the destigmatization of obesity and obesity cures and, and sugar addiction and all these kinds of things, we, did, we have to start with the next generation. And the next generation starts when they're very, very young. If they don't get acclimated, as my children didn't, don't get acclimated to sugar, uh, they will not uh, you know, be drawn to it as an emotional management tool later in their life. And that's, I mean, again, still anecdotal, still small samples, but I believe that's what's going to happen. And we need to have that uh, grassroots uh, I mean, I break this prediction. In the 1990s, people thought yoga was insane in the United States. Like, what is this Indian craziness, right? And now there's a yoga studio on every corner in middle America and everywhere. There's a yoga studio. There's yep. going to be sugar coaches, sugar addiction and sugar um, coaches, sugar relief coaches on, in every dental practice, in every medical practice, in every weight loss practice, of course, on uh, every yoga studio. Uh, in every health, in every gym, in every weightlifting place, in every CrossFit, there's going to be someone helping you with sugar. Uh, that, in my experience, we do this Quit Sugar Summit every year. Done it for four years. Um, we've interviewed, you know, hundreds of experts, and it just keeps getting bigger every year because people know this, but not the general public. And really, crazily enough, uh, in relation to this podcast, not the recovering community. That's kind of makes me crazy a little bit that the recovering community is kind of not uh, embracing this. Now, some of the people in the food addiction recovery, food addicts anonymous recovery, to some extent, OA, but that's another story. Um, they have named abstinence, no flour, no sugar. Uh, there's four of them. I can name them if you want, but uh, they have embraced this. And those groups are successful if the people adhere to that abstinence of no sugar, no flour. They, their body falls to a right-sized body. Um, the obsession is lifted. And the obsession is as real as drugs. The obsession to that I need yeah. to have it is as real uh, at night, in the morning, whenever you are you know, have your poison, it's the same. You'll literally get in a car on a snowy night and go out and get it, you know, to have it. And you don't yeah. always go to bed. I mean, I'm talking. I wouldn't know these stories if people would spend five minutes in my inbox, find five minutes in my Facebook messenger. They know how real the pain is out there. So how, how real I know the big, how big the problem is, you know? Okay. I'm off my soapbox. I'm sorry. I get out of my soapbox. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. You got, you got me, you know, like you, you got me fascinated and interested and you know, like you're, you're right. You're like the, the, the sobriety movements um, will will deal. You know, like I'm I'm always intrigued about calling. You know, like talking to someone that has like a like a troubled food relation. You know, like because it, it, you know, like you need food to live. You know, like so I can quit drug, I can quit alcohol, I can quit. You know, like a lot of stuff, but I can't quit food. Um, so my my 
you know, like the conversation I've had with people having food disorder is, you know, like quite fascinating for me because it's something that, you know, you, you're forced to have a, a um, let's say, sanier relation with it, mm-hmm. you know, while, while, you know, like if I stop booze, I just stop booze, you know, like there, you know, like I, I can't, like I said, you know, like I can't, I can't stop food intake. I'm going to die. You know, like, so, so there's, there's really something about that that interests me. But, um, at the same time, um, what you just talked about for the past hour is just symptoms that we can identify with, you know, like the withdrawal, the headaches, the panic, all of that is something that I can, you know, like I, either gone through or I know about, you know, like there's, there's a lot of stuff that you, you mentioned that, um, and I, I, you know, like the rewarding is something that you hear a lot about addict addiction, you know, like the, the, the rewarding system and, uh, you know, like gifting yourself with, well, at the time drugs and booze, but then it, it falls you on, on, you know, like even when you're sober, yeah. you know, like, how am I going to reward myself? You know, like, what is my, what is my reward? Um, and then it becomes kind of a, almost like a money issue, you know, like you can't, you can't deal with money and you can't deal with, you know, like, uh, you know, like your, your, some of your emotions because, you know, like you still have that rewarding system in you and, you know, like you try to find a, a way to compensate, you know, um, so it's it's it is fascinating, and at the same time, you know, like I, I would, you know, like I was about to tell you that, you know, like I've been doing intermittent fasting for the past, I don't know, maybe eight years. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, like on an eighteen, uh, it's a it's a sixteen eight cycle. You know, like I eat for eight hours and you know stop for sixteen, and you know, like I've been doing that naturally for you know, like I've read a lot about it, and you know, I started doing that almost like eight years ago and the first few weeks were actually crazy because you know like the 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 break breakfast was a nightmare you know like i you know like like your brain was just telling me to get something you know like (laughs) um but it is the it is the same it is the same process because I know for a fact that, you know, like I have, I have, I'm not kidding. You know, like when I said I have, when I say I have a sweet tooth, there are sweets in my car because I know that at some point if I'm stuck in traffic, I will get dizzy and, and start feeling weird. And I need to nibble on something sweet for that to pass. That's a and, you know, I, It is. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. You know, especially if if I'm the if I'm in the uh, fasting, you know, like a uh, period, right. um, and if I'm approaching my my breaking fast, you know, which is at noon, um, it happens quite often, and you know, like it it means that you know, like I'm probably going through some kind of um, rush to grab sweet as quickly as possible, you know. Um, right. So yeah, what what um, what was the process to become yourself a uh, uh, sugar flower and uh, and caffeine uh, coach? How did you get to um, become that? What was the process to become that? Well, you know, I had a regular life. You know, after the kids started to grow, and I had a career and business mostly online selling information and software and stuff um but 
about 10 years ago, I got the name sugaraddiction.com. And I thought that it made sense to me at the time because I had sold information on how-to products and stuff. Like if I just gave a really good information, then they would just read it and or watch a video and then they would be able to quit. <laughs> but then they couldn't quit, right? But back then, the sugar folks were literally advertising uh, that sugar addiction wasn't real. And I was a little nervous. You know, I had a lot to lose. I didn't want to, you know, poke the bear in the eye kind of thing. So I kind of cooled out for another few years. And about the last three or four years, what I've done is I started coaching and I run online groups. I have a 3,500 in a private group on Facebook. You know, my Facebook page is over 13 or 14,000 people. And what I've discovered is they need a one-on-one coaching. They need like a sponsor in, the, in our lexicon, in the world of recovery, a peer recovery specialist. And they need a group. They need a tribe. They need a new tribe um, because their family's not going to support them. And their, um, you know, the workmates aren't going to support them. It's going to be, you're in a different place. Maybe it's weight, maybe it's health, whatever. You've done research, what have you. And so you need other people, just like if you were going to go to a meeting of some kind, you need other people. And most major metropolitan cities aren't even big enough to have, uh, besides an OA meeting, and some of them don't even have that, the food group meetings don't even hardly exist. So online was the answer. And so that's what we did. We And that's been a rocket ship success story so far where people are, um, you know, celebrating birthdays of a year and two years every week now because the group has helped them. They found a new tribe and they found a new group of people who believe the things that I've been espousing for the last hour and that we've been talking about. They believe it. They've done the research. They've watched our kick, our, you know, quit sugar summit, and they have uh, seen all the experts and the scientists from Harvard and Cornell say that does sugar cause cancer? Yes. Let me ask you that question again, sir, Doctor So and Doctor Cantley. Uh, can't well, does that does sugar cause cancer? Yes. Um, you know, the, these people that have actually been studying it, uh, they've been now exposed, this group of people that want to change have now been exposed to it. And that's how we do it. I guess I do anything, I think, is, you know, awareness and then, uh, uh, you know, a group, group kind of conscious grassroots movement to, to move in that direction. And so for our listeners, where can they find you? Um, you know, like where can they find information about this, you know, like further, um, you know, like further explanation of the, of the yeah. phenomenon and the researches and, you know, like, uh, and you, you know, like, uh, and your movement. Yeah. Quit sugar summit. Uh, it's just quit sugar summit.com. You can, uh, just go there and you'll give, put your email in and we'll, um, You'll get start getting mailings about that, um, which has some challenges, 30-day challenges and that kind of stuff. Um, sugaraddiction.com is uh, my main website. If you just go up in the right-hand corner, it says do-it-yourself uh, sugar quitting, which will get you into the Facebook group and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, I always tell people if you've already made it to sugaraddiction.com, you probably don't need to take the quiz. You're, you're probably good. You know, you probably already got a problem going on. Indeed. And then the book, I have a book on Amazon, which is uh, The Last Resort Sugar Detox, which is free on Amazon for the United, United States. And I'm almost there on Canada, Great Britain, and Australia. It might be 99 cents still there. 
for the digital download, or you could order the book. But um, in the U.S., it's free um, to download. So, yeah, the book, uh, Quit Sugar Summit or SugarAddiction.com, you can find me. Well, Michael, this was uh, quite an eye-opener for me. You know, like, uh, I'm going to take it personal this time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm here if you need me. You know, give me a yell. I'm I'm used to it. Like I said, 50% of the podcast people that I work with, uh, my booker there, they want to know for themselves. So, Yeah, it was was just a... mind-blowing experience you know like i i i've loved it you know i've loved it because it's um it makes you think uh that definitely um there's something there's something to be to be investigated there you know like the 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 you know like all of those red flags that you you just raised you know like i you know like i'm 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 talking for myself i'm gonna need to think about that a lot you know like the, there's there, there's a reason why it, it you know like it, it you know it it made me react the way it did you know so it was um yeah. it was a great experience talking to you um and you know like i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna be leaving to the listeners in the podcast episode description all of the links that you provided and um thanks a million to you michael it was a it was a great conversation Glad to be here and keep up the good work yourself. Um, people need more information about alcohol and drugs, sobriety, and all that kind of stuff. So keep it- Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.